Principal Matters Podcast, episode 218. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about reflections on pause, breathe, and flourish with my guest and welcome back co-host, Jen Schwanke. Jen Schwanke is the principal of Indian Run Elementary and the author of two books, You're the Principal, Now What? and The Principal Reboot, Eight Ways to Revitalize Your School Leadership. Jen Schwanke, welcome back to Principal Matters. You know, I often get emails from people who are just waiting for you to come back. So I'm so glad (laughs) that you're here today. Good. Well, thank you so much. It's a it's a pleasure to be back. And we are certainly in such crazy and unpredictable times right now. It's nice to have this podcast to count on. And it's amazing to me, you're in episode 218. That means Isn't 218 that times you have sat down to talk to people about leading and what really matters. Yeah. So when I start forgetting what I used to understand about education, I just go back and listen right. to some... <laughs> Yes, it's got to be like an audio journal. Well, let's just tell our listeners, we, you and I were talking about this episode today, and I believe it was me that pushed my way into a new idea, which is today, maybe we will interview the interviewer. So after 217 times where you were asking the questions, maybe today we, I will ask the questions of you. Well, I love it, Jen. And um, I've had some opportunities to have people ask me some questions about my book. And it's always a privilege to talk to you. And I I know because you and I share things ahead of time that I, I saw a few of your questions that I was like, ooh, those are things no one's asked me before. So oh, good. let's, let's good. just jump in. Well, let's jump in. But first, let's remind the audience that um, you've been talking in the singular sense with your book because you have one that just came out two months ago, but you had two other books as well. So you have Principal Matters, which um, came out in 2017, and then Messaging Matters. So we're going to make sure that we touch on those two books as well, because they're all all important. And so um, let's talk about your most recent book, though, that just came out two months ago, and it's called Pause, Breathe, Flourish, Living Your Best Life as an Educator, which, by the way, I just love that title, and I I want to know more about that. Yeah. So... um, Let's talk about why you thought this book was an important one to write and get out into the universe. Yeah, well, I'm going to take part A and part B of that question. Okay. So part A <laughs> was like the, the title of that question for a long time. I've been thinking about that word breathe because of the image of when you're on the airplane and the oxygen mask lesson comes down where the 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 um, the the attendant is reminding you that if you lose oxygen in this cabin, the air mask will come down and you're supposed to put it on yourself first before you place it on the person beside you. And I've heard that so many times when I travel. And one day I was just sitting there listening to that spiel. And I just was thinking about how often school leaders fail to apply that to their own leadership. How so often we're putting oxygen masks on everyone else. And you and I both know, Jen, because we've been in this work a long time and we've known a lot of people in this work that there's sometimes where principals simply just burn out. They run out of oxygen. They're giving and giving and giving so much that they're not taking the time to pause and breathe themselves so that they can respond to the people around them who are in crisis or who need help or who need intervention or who need love or whatever it is that we're providing at the time. So that was the the idea around that whole concept. And then when this book, um, when I started talking about partnering with Connect Ed, um, which is an organization led by Jimmy Costas and Jeff Zuhl, uh, we were discussing 
uh, the potential title for this book. And it was actually Jimmy Casas that recommended uh, the pause, breathe, flourish um, part. And Jeff Zuhl, who recommended the living your best life as an educator, because they both read the book and they really felt like that was going to somehow capture the essence of what the book was about. So I think that's part A. I may have already answered part B. Well, you you sort of did. I want to go back to part B in a moment, but I'm going to tell you why I love the pause and breathe part of your title. I think every one of your readers will probably have some sort of connection to that. Mine is that I feel um, a lot of damage is done when somebody is having a hard time or they're stressing or they're overwhelmed and somebody says, just relax or God, chill, you know, and somehow it's not quite so abrasive or... Um, divisive if someone says, okay, let, let's breathe. Let's pause for a minute and let's breathe. It's actually a joke in my house. Don't tell mom to relax because nothing will send me through the roof like someone telling me to relax. But if someone says to me, okay, let's let's pause and let's breathe. Somehow I'm like, okay, I can do that. I cannot relax in this moment, but I can pause and I can breathe. So well, and that then leads to flourishing. It's, it's a wonderful three-step process, if you will. Thanks for that feedback, Jen. And it reminds me, your name came up in a recent mastermind that I was leading as we were talking about some schools that are getting ready to step from remote to in-person for the first time. And, and in that room, there were leaders who have already made that transition and leaders who had not. And what I've discovered with leaders who are getting ready to step into that, there's a high level of stress and anxiety among their teachers mm-hmm. right before they launch. And there was somebody in the room that said, wait a second, Will, in one of your recent podcast, you quoted someone saying how important it is to poke the holes in people's rage or to poke the holes in people's chaos or the poke. I can't remember what it was, Jen. It was you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that, that talked about the importance of, of poking the holes. And I, and I think that that is, I think that's a responsibility of leaders is to pause for a second, be that person in the room who can um, take the chaos out of the moment and, and try to find a way to to channel it. So let's talk a little bit more about part B. I don't want to get off of this because you, you know, you mentioned how easy it is for principals to become overwhelmed and to burn out. But the second half of the title of your book is living your best life as an educator. Mm -hmm. Why did that need to be in the universe? What is it that you have learned or that you have seen from watching other principals about the possibilities and likelihood of living your best life? If, if you um, do these things you mentioned in your book. Yeah, well, you know that it sometimes takes a year or two before the book in your mm-hmm. mind and in your writings turns into a publication. So I, I can remember right after writing Messaging Matters um, and presenting on that and at conferences or to other principal groups that often, um, and when I present on Principal Matters, my first book, there's there was still a question that kept coming up in those conversations, the same one that I think motivated you to write your Principal Reboot, which is um, how do I keep how do I take care of me? All these are great at practical ideas for serving my school, or these are practical ideas for serving my community. Um, But anytime I would talk about self-care, that always came back to me later. Um, It was like this consistent return question that people would stay after, or people would talk to me afterwards about that part. And, And I realized that this is a consistent wrestling match emotionally that leaders go through. So I sat down specifically with those thoughts in mind to begin writing content about what are ways that we can invest in our own growth? What are the categories in, within my own growth uh, and that I've seen within other people that are healthy places to revisit so that that part of our individual self doesn't get lost in our leadership? So, um, you know, the, the, the book is broken into categories of 
of um, your health, uh, including your body, your mind, your your influence, um, your time, your friendships, your spirituality, your resources, your intimacy, and your future or legacy. And really, Jen, I, I may have told you this before too, but um, I also just thought to myself, if I ever write a book that I actually want my own children to read, then this might be it. Because this this is the one that, it, it, whether you're an educator or not, I think you could actually um, learn some value from it, which is why I also shared it outside of my education world. I, I had a former student who endorsed this book too, and I had her read it ahead of time also, just to, to share it outside of our circle, because I think it applies, it just applies to human existence. Well, one of the one of the anecdotes in your book that I love the most and that I think applies to any profession is the story you tell about writing your own resignation letter. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't you, for those who haven't had a chance to read the book yet, why don't you give us a brief snapshot of that story and tell us about how writing that letter helped you keep your sanity and your soul? Yeah, it's so interesting. And for those Principal Matters listeners, those who are regular listeners, you know the story by heart by now, but uh, maybe there's someone listening who hasn't heard it before. But this is the story I'm asked to tell the most often, Jen, even in other podcasts where I've been interviewed. Um, But, you know, it was the second year of my first tenure as a school administrator. I was an assistant principal in a large high school with about 1,200 students. And I was working really late and staying at school all the time and skipping breakfasts and had stopped exercising and was getting up super early in the morning to check emails. And when I would come home from school late, right before my own children went to bed, I barely had time to read a book to them. And I was always falling asleep when I did. My still, my children still tell stories of having to hit me in the chest to keep me awake to read storybooks to them. And one night I was preparing to get my laptop back out after they went to bed to start working again, because I just worked all the time. And my wife sat down beside me and just said, well, can we have a conversation? And she said to me, the kids and I have accepted that you are a dad and husband on the weekends only, and that you are a shell of the man that you used to be. And she said that without bitterness. She just said it with like simple resignation. And and it was true. And I remember when she went to sleep that night, I stayed up and I opened my laptop and I, I just made a decision. It was one of those moments where you just know, okay, this is a this is that moment where I, something has to change. Mm-hmm. And so instead of working, I, I just composed a letter of resignation explaining why I was going to have to leave this occupation if I couldn't figure out a better way to balance my work with my family and my self-care and my children and my marriage, my health. And I, and I took it to work and I put it in a file folder and I set it on the corner of my desk and I told myself, I'm either going to find some new habits or I'm going to leave this profession. And that became my reminder every day. And I didn't, there wasn't a, I didn't find the silver bullet, but over time, as that reminder was in my face every single day while I was doing work, I began to take time for those things that I knew I should be doing, like getting up early and exercising instead of working, like taking time to eat lunch with a friend or colleague and just laugh and not even talk about school. Right. Um, like leaving early when, because the, the, the work would still be there. Right. Even because you never get it done. And so those were that was kind of the turning point for me, Jen, in that journey. Well, and the the hero in this story for me is Missy, because Mm -hmm. the way she told you, um, you know, it's very hard to argue with facts. And it sounds like she told you in a very factual way, not in a passive aggressive way or a guilt inducing way, but a factual way. And you say that she sounded resigned. And, you know, there's some irony there that she had resigned to the fact that Mm -hmm. this is what her life was going to be like. And by telling you that she got you to resign this 
endless work ethic, this endless laptop open, you know, the, the never shutting down, which is, you know, an, a, a, a social scientist would have a lot of fun with that conversation and what came out of it. But, you know, that's a cool application. Yeah. Jen. I never thought of it that way. The, your, your book is a very personal one, Will, and you tell a lot of stories in it. You share a lot of memories and make connections to your current work and your past work. Do you, why do you feel so comfortable sharing these personal stories with the universe? Um, and how do you think it helps principles? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, let me just be as frank as you just asked me to be. <laughs> um, when I was a teacher in the classroom, and Jen, you know this too, um, you discover something about students, and that is that if you want them to learn, they have to first trust you. And so um, part of the pedagogy of good classroom instruction is ensuring that your students um, remember you're a person, uh, that they see you as a human, not just a, a teacher. And so I would try to practice every single day, even though I would begin my classes with with processes and we had routines, I would still try to every day embed some moment of a quick personal story, some, some reconnection with what was going on in my personal life or a movie I'd just seen or a book or some funny story about my kids to just kind of reignite that human connection with my, my students. And what I discovered is what everyone knows about good teaching, which is that, that when you have trust in a relationship, kids are more open to learning and engaging with you because they just learn better when they trust their instructors. And so when I began this journey of sharing stories about school leadership, I frankly force myself to remember that lesson has to apply in all settings. If I, if I expect that's going to work with kids, then it's going to have to be, I'm going to have to remain that vulnerable with, with adults too, because if I'm not, how are they going to trust me to, to that the lessons I'm teaching them are ones that they may want to apply to themselves. So it's a weird dichotomy to, to be in a, a setting where you're sharing either on a podcast or a blog or in a book with people that you can't see physically or can't connect with, or sometimes you don't even know personally. And then to share so much of your own personal experience with them with the hope that that trust is built so that the lesson you're trying to get across actually is meaningful. So it's a risk, um, but it's a risk I've been trying to take and willing to take because I want so desperately for that message to connect and become an, an experience that they apply. You know, the day before I started my first teaching job, I went to my dad. I've talked to my dad, talked about my dad before in this podcast. And I said mm -hmm. to him, my God, dad, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm supposed to go in in front of these seventh graders and teach them something. And he said, oh, Jenny, don't worry. Just tell stories. They love to hear stories. <laughs> and that is certainly true. It was true of 13 year olds and it's true of adults too. You know, I, I think I've mentioned before, I teach um, some graduate level classes and I'm teaching a school law class now. And we go through these Supreme court cases and they're fascinating. And I'm mm -hmm. geeking out. You know what my students want to hear? They want to hear my stories about how, you know, in, in the moment, boots to the ground, when did these cases apply to me in my current role? And, and how did I put my learning to work? They don't, they don't care what the Supreme Court decided in 1964. They want to know how it affects them in 2020 in the principal's office. It, and it's those wow. stories that make the, the experience genuine and authentic. And, and that's what I love so much about your book, because I don't think, I think a lot of times principals and school administrators are encouraged to be robots. 
feelingless, emotionless robots. Always middle of the road, see both sides, everybody's perspective matters. But when you tell a story, you rip that Band-Aid off and you're saying, I'm vulnerable and I'm real and I have lived this with you. And I think I think mm-hmm. that that's the, the connection to personal stories that's so important. Wow, that's powerful. And, and you're right. And I think for early educators, I know this was my experience as a classroom teacher. It took me a while to get comfortable enough with my processes and routines and the and the work to to rediscover myself in that process too. So so if you're listening to this Principal Matters listeners and you feel like, oh my gosh, I never get to just be me in my work. On the one hand, it may just be because you're still trying to figure out those processes if you're early in this career. But on the other hand, it may be because you just need to give yourself permission to right. be you. And, and, and so there's a joy when you, when you start giving yourself permission to be yourself, because, uh, because that, I don't know, that's when the marriage of, of the work and the, and your personal experience, I think bring a lot of joy. So, okay. So I feel like you're walking right into the questions I want to ask. And, um, it's not because we talked ahead of time because you're taking me out of order, but you just <laughs> opened the door for a, for a question I'm really interested about. And that is about self-reflection. This book that you've written is meant to be a source for self-reflection, but you're constantly doing it. And, and I'd like to talk about how self self-reflection has really influenced your, your work as a school and a state educational leader. Yeah. Wow. That's a deep question. Um, and I could, we could do a whole episode just on that, Jen. So let me, let me try well, to, maybe we should, maybe we should, <laughs> but let, let me, let me try to answer the question um, concisely. Um, you know, self-reflection is, is a mindset. And, um, and so often I think, uh, I think one of the places that I learned to do that most was actually in the classroom, because when I was a, a language arts teacher, one semester, um, our school opened a creative writing course and they asked me if I would teach it. And I said, yes. And so suddenly I was teaching a writing elective that was completely voluntary. So these kids were signing up because they wanted it, not because they were required to take it. And you know how that dynamic changes when you've got kids in a room that are really interested in one thing. So I was able to actually study and teach the craft of writing in a way that I hadn't before. And and one of the things that we did as a classroom was spend a lot of time in the first two weeks in observation, teaching them to really, really, really um, examine their own sense of observation, what they smell and what they see and what they touch and what they hear and what they feel and what they taste. And we would do crazy things like blindfold exercises where I would bring things in and have them hold and touch and smell and then write descriptions before I would let them see the things that they were that they were examining. And then I would ask them to apply that to the descriptions that they were going to try to make in in a narrative of a setting or in the conversation with a person or in describing an emotional experience that they had had themselves. And because I believe that we should practice what we teach, I would, I would write with them. So as I gave them an assignment, I would write along with them and then we would share all of those experiences. And I began to discover something over the years because I taught that course for two or three years. Um, I would tell my students that I, I would start off the conversation by saying, I have come to the realization that most people are blind. And they would just look at me like, what? And I would say, most people are not aware that right now in this room that you're sitting in, there are all kinds of cotton fibers that are filling and nylon fibers filling the carpet that you're standing on or that the that the the mud in the plaster of these walls was once the dirt that has been mixed to make the the the, the surroundings around you. They're not aware of the of of the content that's been created in these ceiling tiles, or how the light that's coming down on you has been placed by these halogen bulbs, or the the fact that you're hearing sounds beyond this room that you maybe not. And suddenly they're 
they're no longer blind. They're beginning to see and hear and feel the things that I'm feeling. And somehow, Jen, that practice um, is something that's been helpful for me to do as a school leader, to step back from the moment and just examine and really pay attention to my surroundings so that I'm more mindful of the moment, whether that's the faces of people, the emotions of people, the experiences they're having in front of me, the hidden people that are trying to not be noticed in a room. And I think that, um, so that, that self-reflection is helpful too. And then I mentioned a book, I think to you before, one by Pete Hall, and I'm looking around my office for the title and I don't see it, but Pete Hall wrote a book and I went to one of his presentations several years ago. He's an ASCD author like you are. And Pete talks about the cycle of self-reflection, how that really good teachers always at the end of a lesson will reflect on what did they learn? How do I know they learned it? What did I not do well that I can do better tomorrow? And then you come back and start again with that cycle over and over again. And I've tried to apply that cycle to school leadership too. And then even outside of school leadership, how do you apply that to life? You know, how do we in our own lives take time to just pause and ask ourselves when it comes to our health or it comes to our mindset or it comes to our marriages or it comes to our friendships or it comes to our um, understanding of spirituality? How how are we reflecting in those situations too? So, sorry, I'm not sure that was concise. No, it's, you've hit on some really important things that I want to, to park for a moment. I think self-reflection, I'll speak personally, um, when asked to reflect often, the only question I ask myself is, what did I do wrong? Mm. What do I need to fix? What, what, where did I screw up, so to speak? And so I think sometimes principals ask teachers to reflect after a lesson and the teacher thinks that means, what would you do differently because it didn't work this time? Mm. And, and I think self-reflection is much more complex than that. And, and that's what you addressed in your answer. Reflection isn't what you did wrong. It is many, many more questions that you can ask yourself as, as an attempt to get to get better, absolutely, but to also understand yourself and to understand the room you're in and to understand where the people that you are trying to connect with, where they are standing in the room. Yeah. And, and part of that is, is, you know, you said you learned a lot as a teacher, but I also feel like the teacher experience is a really, really important one for principals and leaders. We have to really stay connected to that teacher experience. So combine your ruminations on self-reflection with how you stay or how you feel principals can stay connected to the teacher experience. Yeah, that's really important. And that that's a, there's a tension. And you know this, Jen, when you step from teaching into school leadership, where you are attempting to be student-centered in the decisions that you're making while at the same time managing the expectations for the adults in your building so that they can reach their goals while feeling supported. And that's a that's a mouthful. And you know that to apply that like well is a huge balancing act. And so, um, you know, at first when I stepped into school leadership, I was just shocked that there was so much variety among teachers and in terms of their work ethics or their um, applications or their pedagogies, I, I had a lot of assumptions that people you just, probably, you probably thought they were all like you, right? <laughs> I think every principal thinks teachers teach like they do. Exactly. And so when you step in and you, they don't, you're like, at first you're just shocked. And then if, when you, when you encounter some people that, that really are not doing their jobs well and need confrontation, that becomes really uncomfortable because you think they should just get it. You know, there's just this expectation. So there's kind of this, um, um, the honeymoon period doesn't last very long in school leadership before you just realize, oh my gosh, I've got these really important things to confront. At the same time, 
I know how important it was to me as a teacher. And, and, you know, Anthony Muhammad talks about this in his book on transforming school culture, that when you run into somebody who's a survivor, for instance, who feels burned out, a teacher who's maybe given up hope, who's just showing up and clocking in, clocking out. Anthony will, will say the first question you should ask yourself as the leader is how, how am I actually supporting this person? How am I actually growing the capacity of this person to not be burned out? So in other words, the question first comes to me before I put it on them. And I, for years, had that backwards. I would always want to ask the question, what are they doing wrong? Not what am I doing to help them maybe reach a new place in growth. And and then there are some people that you attempt that kind of investment in, and and they are simply not open any longer to accepting that. And you and I both know that those people need new careers um, or retirement. And so, um, but um, I don't know if that... I've begun to forget where I was going with that, with that question. We're we're talking about staying connected to the teacher experience. And what I find with me is, you know, it's true. The farther I get from being the teacher, um, the, the harder it is to remember. And I stay connected because I'm fortunate enough to teach these graduate classes, but I also have found some tricks here and there. You know, I read Ed Week Teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really try to follow the thinking and the, the posts, the um, tweets, the Facebook posts of teachers, because I want to know what they're think, thinking and how they're feeling, especially these days when, um, you know, feelings really matter, <laughs> how, mm-hmm. how teachers are feeling. And so I didn't know if you had any tricks. Well, no, that. I think that those are such good reflections. I think part of the application for me was just, again, trying to put myself emotionally into the shoes of the teachers whom I was supporting. And for the first several years of my administrative experience, I was the disciplinarian. So that was often, I was the one having to negotiate conflict between kids and teachers. And what I found was that that dance was so important for me to maintain the integrity and respect of that teacher in that relationship and protect the integrity and the care for that child. And and marrying those things sometimes could be really difficult. But if I kept putting myself back in the position of both people Mm -hmm. and wanting to maintain the dignity and realizing that I'm just a facilitator and really the power of the relationship is between the two of them, that's where I found a lot of of the healing that needed to take place in those relationships. So I don't know if that's a quick answer, but I think part of it is just constantly as a leader, putting yourself back in the shoes. Also, and this is something I think a lot of administrators forget because I've sat in a lot of meetings where people start complaining about teachers and why don't they respond this way? Or why are they upset when we give them this new um, idea or, or this district um, plan or action? And I, and I just want to remind them, Hey guys, remember you were them once. Right. And how did it, how did it feel to be that person that was in charge of instruction and management and all those things and be told one other thing that you have to do. Exactly. And so I think it's so important for administrators to keep putting themselves back into the shoes of the people that they're leading, because otherwise you can become resentful because they seem resistant uh, when actually they may not necessarily be resistant against you. They may be resistant against something else. Um, so that's a tough balance to know how to lead, but at the same time, letting people understand that you understand the burden they're carrying. That reminds me of the phrase, one of my favorite of all time is, you know, just because I disagree with you doesn't make you wrong. You know, I I think about how many times I've been in principal meetings where, you know, they'll, just as an example, the teachers say they need more time. Well, they have time. I don't know how they need more time. Well, you're disagreeing with them, but they're not wrong. They feel like they need more time. How can we give them more time? So it's not up to us as administrators 
to critique or denounce the feedback we're getting from teachers. We just need to hear it and accept it. Um, just because we don't like it doesn't mean that they're wrong. <laughs> no, and 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 I've often been asked that question. Probably another consistent question I've been asked over the years is, what do you do with resistant staff? Mm-hmm. And that's a fair question. And there's a lot of ways you could answer that. But the first thing that I normally say is, when you are encountering resistant staff, the first question you have to ask yourself is, am I resistant? Mm-hmm. So before right. you before you begin examining them, examine yourself and ask, how do I respond to requests? How am I responding to accountability? How am I responding to their resistance? Because if I don't like the way they're responding, but I'm modeling that for them, then it's not going to change. Right. If I'm the one modeling that resistance all the time, how do why am I getting so upset that they're displaying the same resistance? So I know that's so hard to like first apply the question to yourself, but I think that's where it always has to start. It's so powerful. It is so powerful. The, the first question of thyself and then the second question of, of the others. It is. Well, now, Will, we're, we're running out of time. Do you think I we know. can do more of this? I feel like, um, I you know, th- we do I have think- episode 219 coming up. We I, I have more questions for well, you. Jen Schwanke, I am just so excited to have this conversation with you. But we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. Okay. And then we will circle back around because you have some great questions. We may have to do additional episodes if, if we have time. But Jen... Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to get on the other side of the mic. Could you remind listeners how they can stay connected with you and your great content? Well, absolutely. I, I have a new website, jenschwanke.com, and they can follow me on Twitter or find my books at ASCD.org or on Amazon as they can find your books too, Will, all three of your books. And um, I'm not going to let you go. Let's record um, next week because we just have more things that we need to say, I think. Well, I'm excited about it. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you guys for taking time to listen and learn this week because what you do matters. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.